Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. Today I'm joined by Kent Brown, who is in the uh, media relations at the University of Illinois, Associate Director of Athletics, I believe, is, is your actual title. Is that right, Kent? That's right. You know, traditionally it was the Sports Information Director. That was the all-time, and so I, I still like to go by that if I can. I understand. Well, you are from uh, Atwood Hammond, Illinois. Uh, probably the first person I've interviewed on my, my podcast from Atwood Hammond. And I will also say probably not the most famous person ever from Atwood Hammond, but we'll get into that later. But uh, uh, tell me about, uh, you You were at Atwood during a time of, of just absolute uh, athletic dominance. I think your senior year, um, the 1980 football team was 14-0. The basketball team won what, like 25, 26 games, I think that year? 25 and four as a senior. and. And yeah, so I grew up in Hammond, right outside Hammond. I always tell people I grew up in the middle of a cornfield, uh, which is not hard in central Illinois. And between Hammond and Pearson Station, uh, the, the school was in Atwood. In Atwood and so that's now uh, closed and, and uh, you know, joined with the Arthur Lovington School District. So that's where we're at. But yes, I'm a Raj off for life. And um, my senior year, we had a large group of... Um, really good athletes and which comes through small schools every once in a while but we had I can remember even in sixth grade we had 30 boys go out for the basketball team and there was only there's only like 35 boys in the entire class and so uh, and and none of them were really bad you know and so we had a just a, a good athletic group that went through and um our junior year in uh, high school uh we won the uh, little oak off uh, football championship and lost to Catlin in the first game of the playoffs, but that was the first playoff appearance in many years, and it had, playoffs hadn't been around that long. And then um, uh, our basketball team was pretty good. I think we won. Uh, we were several games over 500. And then uh, our senior year, my senior year, we had a really good year. We 14 and 0 in football, won the state championship, won a state championship, and then our basketball team uh, made the Sweet 16 uh, with a 25 and 4 record. The four losses that we had, Fred, were by a total of five points. Oh my! And, and uh, we missed. We lost in the super sectional to Pena by uh, one point, 45-44. Not that it's a, a clear memory to me at all. Forty-one <laughs> years later, but um, that's how close we were to 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 going into state uh, after winning state in football. It was it was a pretty good run that time. Now, as I understand it, though, you didn't play football. What what was the story behind that? <laughs> Well, you know, I uh, was a tall, skinny lad uh, going through high school, and so uh, my uh, I had grown a couple inches going into my senior year. I was six foot seven, uh, about one hundred and seventy pounds, and maybe one seventy two, dripping wet. And um, <laughs> um, I could run a little bit. I was fairly athletic. I I, I could uh, I thought I could help the football team, but Tim Burke, who was our uh, head basketball coach, and he's also the assistant football coach at that time said, you know, can't, uh, you know, it'd be great. Um, but I will tell you, uh, you can go out for football, but I'm not going to play you. I'm not going to let you get on the field because we need you for the basketball team. And, and he knew that we were going to be really talented and have a, had a good football team and, and the numbers weren't the issue. And so, um, I took that hint to heart and I, and, uh, decided that, uh, maybe a different direction would be my best way to do it. And so, um, I, and they all knew that I was a sports nut. So the coaches, John Lyons, who was our head football coach, was our PE coach. Tim was the basketball coach. And they all knew that I was a sport, one of those sport nerds who uh, I was the guy that knew all the rules, that knew all the the history. I knew all the sports trivia stuff. And um, 
so they came to me and said, Hey, why don't you, why don't you keep our stats? Why don't you be our stats uh, statistician? And so I grabbed my, uh, my best friend, uh, Chris, and I uh, did stats. And then at uh, halftime and after the games, all our games were on the radio, I would go on at halftime and I'd read off the stats and give my little commentary on the, on the first half about the statistical part of it. And uh, that's how I, that's how I got my start in sports information. So I credit, I credit that for uh, a career. Well, that was my next question is, as you got out of Atwood Hammond, what did you see yourself doing uh, for a living? I mean, what, what were your goals? Well, I knew I always wanted to uh, work in sports, you know, like a lot of people and Fred, I'm sure you were the same. I grew up, I actually grew up reading two newspapers, two daily newspapers every day. My grandparents got the News Gazette in Hammond, and then uh, my family got the Decatur Herald. And we would always trade the newspapers uh, uh, when we were done reading them. And so I, I, I got to read two daily newspapers. And so I read them co cover to cover, you know, the agate, everything. And, and um, you know, I, I was this, you know, the typical sports. And I, I wanted to do something in sports. I knew somehow I wanted to do that. And um, uh, when I arrived at the University of Illinois, I was uh, in a class with Tom Kasich from the News Gazette. He was one of my instructors. And I kind of, uh, I was in a journalism major and I really didn't see myself being a, um, a sports journalist, but I really want to stay in, involved. And he suggested I contact the sports information office on campus. Tab Bennett was the SID at the time. And he said they have student assistants. And so I came over and I met with them and, and uh, they asked me to join their staff as a student uh, the next fall, which was my senior year in college. And um, it had everything that I really liked doing. It had writing, it had dealing with sports. It was from a media standpoint. I was involved in all the events, uh, statistical stuff, uh, historical notes. Those were just things that I, that I did on my own when I was watching games on television as a, you know, growing up. And so uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a natural fit for me. And I kind of fibbed. I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about going to grad school, thinking they didn't want to hire just somebody for one year. And um, about midway through, early in the fall, they said, you know, um, we have a graduate assistantship that we offer. If, you, if you're interested in staying around, you could do that next year and, and uh, continue working in our office. And I was like, that's my only way of getting in my foot in the door would be maybe to do that. And I wasn't really interested in grad school, but I saw that as my way to get my foot in the door. And and so I did two years as a graduate assistant, and it was two really good years. It was the 87, 88 uh, academic year and the 88, 89. And that I worked very closely with the flying Illini, uh, the basketball teams those two years. And I got to know those guys really well. And I still count them as friends today. But, you know, getting that experience allowed me to uh, to stay on. They hired me as a full-time uh, staffer. And Fred, you were covering uh, stuff, uh, baseball and some other, many other sports for the News Gazette. And so that's when I got to know you. And, you know, I was just very fortunate to, to get a, a position at that time, just as things were starting to open up in, in our world in college athletics is to, to adding staff and, and, and understanding the importance of media relations and, and the sports information office, what we can do to help promote, promote our teams. And so I uh, found myself here and seven years I was an assistant here for seven years worked with many different sports women's basketball and baseball and track and uh several and then uh, I finally got to a spot where I was the men's basketball SID with coach Henson and uh that which is really where I wanted to be that was the, the sport I wanted to work with and 
after two years, uh, I was contacted by Kansas State University, and they were looking for a head SID, and uh, my name had somehow gotten to their desk, and, and they had reached out to me, and now Kansas State, you know, I didn't know too much about them, but I knew they had a good football team at that time. They had finished in the top 10 the year before, 1995, and so I, you know, and they were just joining the Big 12. This was going to be the first year of the Big 12, so in the summer of 96, um, they offered me the position there in Manhattan, and I moved with my wife and a young daughter at that time, and we moved to Manhattan, Kansas, and uh, it was a great time to be in Manhattan as well. It was We won 41 football games in the four years I was there and went to the Fiesta Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, uh, had a just a great run. Uh, we were ranked number one in the country in football for a few weeks, and, and then um, never knowing if I'd ever come back to the University of Illinois, and the position opened here in 2000. And so Ron Gunther offered me the position to come back and and I've been in this chair in this office since then. And so I um, have directed the sports information office, the communications office for the last, this will be the 23rd year doing that. And so, uh, you know, I've been an amazing run of people that I've gotten a chance to, to work around including yourself, Fred, and many others that in the business that, uh, you know, make this a, a really fun and rewarding position. Well, how tough was it though for an Illini guy to spend four years out in Kansas? Was that a difficult challenge or not? Well, you know, for someone who was really starting to get, you know, beginning in my career, you know, oftentimes you have to move to move up. And um, I will tell you that the the opportunity that I had there was amazing. And people love uh, Wildcat football at Kansas State, and they still do. But it, it, I, I was also able to, to stay on top of what was going on with the Illini, certainly keep staying in contact with people here, watching games on television whenever I could. Um, you know, you're always, uh, as in this business, you're oftentimes, uh, you're not working at your alma mater. So you have a chance to, to follow in different ways. And, and so I did that as much as I could. And, but, uh, when the chance came to, uh, uh, gave itself to come back, it was pretty easy. And I had two children at that time and, and four grandparents here in the, within an hour of Champaign-Urbana. And if I hadn't made that move at that time, they probably would have kicked out of family so um but it was it was a great opportunity to come back and i haven't regretted it ever you know i've never regretted it once you know i don't know a lot about sports information directors but I, i'll tell you the one thing that, that i do know is how much your business has changed compared to like the newspaper side because you know back in the 80s back in the 90s maybe even into the 2000s i'm not sure you put out actual sports media guides for each of the sports. I mean, a hard copy book. And as I understand it now, most everything is online. Is that right? Yeah, you know, the the change in technology has been maybe the biggest uh, adjustment that a lot of us have had to make. Those of us who have been in the business for a certain amount of time. And yeah, we used to actually have a hard printed media guide for each sport. Um, today, we do we print six media guides for the the sports that primarily end up on television, uh, football, men's and women's basketball, volleyball, baseball, and, and softball. Those are the sports that we uh, publish. And then everything else is online. But, you know, when, um, you know, when we started, when I was starting, um, it was just moving out of the, uh, the old uh, mimeograph machine for copies, you know, copy machines and, Fax machines were just getting started. Uh, that's how we disseminate and distribute a lot of our information. And then, of course, there was the change into the internet. And 
and how that changed. And then we have our own website. And in a lot of ways, we're our own uh, news outlet with our website. We can publish things there, you know, as quickly as, as you know, immediate. Uh, but um, and then social media, you know, early in the two, you know, 2000, 2007, eight, somewhere in that range, uh, social media started to take hold. And that changed everything again, because as you know, that becomes not only immediate, but immediately like right now, if you're not, if you're not posting things on the social media part of it, uh, you're behind. And, uh, um, you know, that's one of the, I miss the, some of those older, the, the traditions and the traditional media that we had, uh, but, you know, we're not going backwards on those things. And, um, you know, that's probably been one of the hardest things though, as you talk about the newspaper industry is watching how that's just uh, changed and fallen off uh, over time because of the um, change in the, in the way we digest our news. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I want to ask you about uh, a few U of I coaches. You get, get uh, a few thoughts and comments, your take on, on a few coaches. Uh, over the years, I, I was never really the U of I go-to person, except I had a couple uh, different times. I did uh, volleyball in from probably like right. the 80s to the uh, mid-90s, and then I did uh, softball from the time it was implemented uh, through uh, Terry Sullivan's last game. So the first two I want to ask you about are, are Mike Hebert, the longtime volleyball coach, and Terry Sullivan. And I would say, in, in my mind, they were similar in terms of just their, their enthusiasm for their sport and their, their cooperation in, in dealing with media. Because like I said, I didn't deal with a lot of other coaches, but I can't imagine any other two being more uh, cooperative and, and helpful than, than those two were. Both very accessible. And, uh, you know, Mike was such a terrific coach person and person, um, you know, certainly miss him uh with his untimely death a few years ago but uh even when mike left here um when he came back you know he would come through the office and and to say hi to many of us who were around during his time and um i didn't work with him on a day-to-day -day basis so much but i obviously we all knew mike and, and we knew the um what he meant for the game of volleyball how important he was to the to the game uh he he saw things at a foresight uh knowing that he could move and have be, be and grow a volleyball power in the Midwest when that was not possible before he got here. And, and look at it now. I mean, it's all moved to the Midwest. I mean, other than Stanford, I get the teams, but the power is in the big 10 and in the Midwest. And that's, I think you can attribute a lot of that to Mike. And then with Terry, my gosh, there's never been anybody more energetic than, than uh, that woman. And um, you know, that start that she got uh, with volleyball or with softball here, you know, taking the team that was basically the club team the first year and, and competing uh, a collegiate schedule. And then her first class, you know, I, I just, I've just happened to be reading a story about Terry that we're going to be posting on our website soon. Uh, and the names on that first class were amazing. And, and, uh, they had some real success and I got, I got almost got angry again. I remember at the time uh, her, her second or third team uh, won 49 games and did not make the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. And many of the coach, there were several coaches in the big 10 who were been around for a long time, whose teams finished below us in the big 10 did get in and really felt like it was a, 
trying to keep the new kid down type of situation. And I, I remember being angry at the time and I got angry again because I just thought it was really very unfair how she was treated and that program was treated those first few years, especially because uh, she put together a really good group. And so, yeah, we miss we miss that energy. There's no one who uh, moved faster and talked faster than Terry. And, um, and we miss her, her greatly. You know, I know she's at DePaul these days um and not working in coaching but working in academics but um she was she was a, a great uh, spark plug down here well how about uh the the catchphrase in the 80s was the 80s belonged to the Illini and that was probably attributed to Mike White I don't know if he actually said that but uh talk a little bit about Mike White and, and how uh, charismatic he was yeah you know Mike uh you know I I had started as a grad assistant during Mike's uh see would have been a student one year and a grass isn't his last year here. But as a student on campus at that time, uh, Mike, the charisma that he brought to the program, you know, rose from the depths because uh, as Lauren Tate would often tell you, uh, Gary Moeller did not put the program, leave the program in great shape. And, uh, and Mike brought in, you know, a lot of uh, kids from California and it changed the, uh, the whole environment about around football and it was the place to be right and so in the in the mid 80s you had to go to the Illini football game that's where everybody went and he had set himself up with another really really good team uh when he uh crossed the line and and uh, was let go after the uh 87 team uh season but you know his I think we can point back to him and the teams that he had and the players that he brought on this campus to really revitalize the whole athletics department in the eighties. I mean, it really gave a big boost to everybody. And that's not saying that Lou Henson and the basketball program wasn't doing their own thing, but I think it gave a boost to everybody to have, to know uh, that's the type of excitement that could be brought to campus. And um, yeah, those are some great players there. I still, you know, when those guys come back, I'm still amazed at uh, what they did. No doubt. Well, you mentioned the person I want to ask about next uh, about Lou Henson, anything that probably hasn't been said a hundred times before. And <laughs> Well, you know, uh, growing up in central Illinois, uh, you know, Lou was uh, a celebrity, right? I mean, he was a celebrity guy. And um, I was working as a student journalist in, uh, I was a sports information uh, student, but I was doing a journalism class and I was doing a story and I asked to talk to Lou to get a, a quote for my story, to interview him for my story. And I'll never forget. I mean, he took the time, he sat down at his desk and answered all my questions. And I remember walking out, I was like, my gosh, that was Lou Henson. You know, I couldn't believe that he just, you know, did that to me, uh, allowed me that time. And um, as I got to know him those next two years as a grad student, he trusted me. He, he gave me some trust uh, to, to be around his team and around his program and in his locker room. And so um, when I had the chance to, to work directly with his team, it was, it was really a thrill. And and so, you know, he retired when I was in Kansas State. He, uh, my last year at, at Illinois was his last year uh, as the head coach. And so um, uh, when I came back, he had been in, you know, had some health problems and uh, he had, uh, had moved mostly to, the, to New Mexico, but he would still have his house here. And so soon after I came back, uh, there was a group of guys who uh, would have a lunch every, every week, every Tuesday. And somewhere along the line, he, he started inviting me to the, to the lunch. Now, I brought the average age down quite a bit, Fred. Uh, it was some of his friends, which is great. 
and and there's a group of us who still get together that were part of those lunches and lauren was a part of it but lou was could could talk to anybody and everybody knew who lou was right you couldn't go anywhere without people approaching him and, and thanking him and talking to him and he would certainly uh talk back and so lou and mary are two of my all-time favorite people um i would uh, i feel like i i would do anything for that man um i i offered many times to help do whatever driving pick him up uh spend time with him whatever whatever needed to be done uh especially towards the end of his life and and uh, he was a very humble man who who uh, cared deeply about not only University of Illinois, but New Mexico State, the people, his former players, his coaches, and he stayed in touch with everybody. And so uh, right up till the very end, he was very, very um, engaged with, with the people in his life. And, and uh, we miss him greatly. I tell you what, we go, we still meet for lunch on Tuesdays. There's about five or six of us. And, um, you know, Lou started that group a long, long time ago, and we still miss uh talking about it. he's his stories of, of the teams that he would watch and the games and his former players. He always wanted to know what was going on. So he was just a terrific, terrific person. Well, and I think he had a connection to your neck of the woods. Didn't he go down to Arthur to get his orange sports coats at, uh, at Delbert's and Arthur? Yeah. For many years, uh, Delbert's was the, the official clothier of, of Illini athletics and many coaches did that. And so, uh, uh, the owner was a former um, um, basketball manager of the Illini back in the 50s. And so they offered a discount to uh, U of I employees, uh, athletic department employees. That was part of their uh, iFund gift, I guess, was that. And so many of us would go down there. But yeah, that's where Lou would get his orange jacket. And uh, uh, for, for many, many years, that's where he would go and, and get that, uh, had that connection down there. And I'm sure he had lunch down there and everybody you know everybody knew Lou and so I'm sure he enjoyed uh, all the he he did enjoy the attention that he got there's no doubt about it he never shied away from it well, I mentioned earlier that you're probably not the most famous person ever to come from Atwood Hammond so uh, talk about a fellow that uh, was down there in the early 1900s named Tug Wilson who uh, I bet not a lot of people have heard of although maybe they have now because he's in the, the U of I Hall of Fame but talk about Tug Wilson you know there's there's some really good stories about Tug and and um we used to, uh, I, I, I got to admit, even when I was a student there, I, I didn't know anything about Tug Wilson until I got to the University of Illinois and worked in sports information and working in the media guides, I, I would notice like in the rosters and the, and the all-time letter winners, somebody who was from Atwood or Tuscola or, you know, the local guys. And the, this guy showed up, Tug Wilson. Well, as I, 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 as I did a little bit more research, it didn't take long to find out he was the second commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, and he was an Olympian. And, and so, you know, I'd always had this knowledge of, of Tug, just kind of in the back of my head. I knew I was very proud that he was from Atwood. And several years ago, about four years ago, four or five years ago, one of my classmates from high school, her name is Vanessa Curry, who's a, 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 a journalist, a newspaper journalist, and, and has written a couple of books now called me out of the blue and says, have you, do you know who Tug Wilson is? I was like, well, yeah, I know who Tug is. I mean, he was an Illinois athlete. He's from Atwood. He was um, a commissioner of the big 10. He was involved in the Olympics um, as a president. I mean, he did some major things. He goes, well, how come we never knew about him? I said, I don't know. No one ever told, told us about him when we were in school. She goes, well, I want to do a historical marker uh, 
for tug. And so I said, I'm on board. Let's, what do we need to do? So she followed through with the state of Illinois and with the town of Atwood. And we found a, a place how to do it, uh, how to get a historical marker in place and how to pay for it. And I took on the role on, on the fundraising role. And I, I made one phone call to the Big Ten Conference and said, hey, what you, the, the, number, the second commissioner of the Big Ten is from my hometown. Um, we want to do a historical marker. It's going to cost us a few thousand dollars. What do you, do you think you could support this? And the immediate answer was absolutely. You tell us how much we'll pay for the whole thing. And so that took all that pressure off. Right. And so we, uh, uh, two years ago, we, uh, dedicated an historical marker in Atwood about Tug and his history. And he grew up about a mile outside of Atwood and would run to, run to the uh, school every day uh, from his farm, uh, got in great shape. He was a javelin thrower and a discus thrower at the Olympics um, and then started his athletics career. He was the Northwestern athletics director for many years and then moved into the role as the Big Ten uh, uh, commissioner until he retired. But he was also the president of the U.S. Olympic Committee and uh, was involved in a lot of different things. And so he was an amazing career uh, and someone who stayed very connected to the local community, even when he was the AD at Northwestern, he would fill up his car trunk with uh, football gear that Northwestern wasn't going to use anymore, bring it down and give it to the boys <laughs> that were on the team in Atwood uh, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And so uh, I got to know his uh, granddaughter uh, a bit through the uh, this dedication of the historical marker that's there and uh, just very, very proud uh, family for what he accomplished. And I'm very proud to, to be from his school. And so uh, that, that, uh, that he went to as well. So uh, yeah, he, he by far takes the cake for the, the most uh, accomplished and famous person to come out of that community. Well, and that kind of leads into the other area I wanted to talk about. And that's uh, what you guys did at the U of I several years ago and then undertaking the U of I Athletics Hall of Fame. That uh, had to just be a, a, a staggering amount of work to, you know, <laughs> research the people uh because i mean it's not like you're just you know looking back you know the past 10 years or 20 years i mean you had more than a century worth of, of athletes and athletics and teams to to look at how can you talk a little bit about that process and how you kind of got that off the ground yeah so you know this was something that had been discussed so many years ago when i was just getting started in the business uh bill butkovich uh who was a longtime principal at Tuscola High School, played football here back in the 40s and 50, 40s, I think, and uh, was the director of the Varsity I, which is the Letterman's group here on campus. He and Dyke Edelman worked out of a little trailer outside uh, the assembly hall there on the north side, and that was the iFund trailer and Grant and Aid trailer. But Bill had one little office there and Dyke had the other one. And so I would stop by and talk to those guys. Now, Bill, if you if you didn't know Bill, he would scare the heck out of you. I mean, he had the burr haircut and he, this look that he always just kind of, you didn't, you don't want to get too close, but as you got to know him, you found out he's a great guy. And so I, I got to know him pretty well. And so I would stop and talk and we would discuss the hall of fame and how the fact that we needed a hall of fame, we had these unbelievable names in not just Illinois athletics history, but the history of sport with Hallis and Grange and, you can just buck us and you just go down the line and these unbelievable accomplishments that they'd had over the years. And so 
um, but we could never get the athletics director at the time or for whatever reason, didn't want to pull the trigger on it. And part of it was, you know, there's a, there's a political side to it because everybody thinks that their friend or their person needs to be in the class. And, and so, um, you know, I, I beat on Ron's door many times. I, we had a, uh, I put together a full, it's one of the things when I went to Kansas state, uh, I was, uh, put in charge of the committee, the hall of fame committee there. And so that was, I got some experience of working through the hall of fame process. And so when I came back, I put together a, uh, an outline of how we could put together our, our hall of fame and, and make it work. And, and Ron listened and just, you know, for, for probably a myriad of reasons, you know, declined to, to, to get the thing off the, off the ground. And so Mike Thomas came in. And so I, again, I went, you know, we had this thing all in place and we could get this thing started and Mike didn't pull the trigger and then Mike was fired. And so Josh came in. And so one of the first things that uh, I talked to Josh about was, was the hall of fame. And he was all in on it. He was all in. He says, it's time. We need to celebrate our history. It's a great way to do it. And so we already had the bylaws pretty much written. Uh, I had done that already. And so we, you know, we did some tinkering and looked at it and, and um, then we had to decide how we're going to start this thing. Right. So we had 125 years of Illinois sports history to celebrate and how were we going to get it started um, and be fair. Right. I mean, we had, I put together a list. I went back and put together a list of, realistic hall of fame candidates people who were big 10 champions national champions multi-sport stars coaches with you know big 10 national in championships um i used a wide range of of criteria and put together a list it was about 800 people you know oh who you could, you could you could argue any of them could get in right sure. and so um we we had a big we we debated quite a long time about how we wanted to do this because do you do you put in, do you catch up within one class and make it 125 to get that first big group in to catch up with everybody? Or do you start with your initial class and then just kind of try to make up? And so that's what we ended up trying, we ended up doing. We put in a, a bigger class. It was about 30 to start with. And um, and then we've had classes that probably averaged between 12 and 15 since then. And we're probably going to try to narrow those down to a little bit smaller classes as we go along. But um the names, you know, we put together a committee that um, we tried to keep it anonymous so that we didn't have the uh, political pressure, you know, placed on them so that uh, uh, because everybody has their own agenda, right? I mean, it's just, there's a lot of people out there that want to get their person in and they're deserving. There are so many people who are deserving. That's why I tell everybody when they call me and say, why isn't this person in? They're deserving. It's just, we got 130 years that we're catching up with. And so uh, we've gotten six classes in now and um uh it's still one of my favorite uh things to work on each year is to is to put together a, a class and there's a there's some work that that goes into that in terms of trying to make it a diverse class from uh, a racial equity to uh sex e equity to um you know just the, the time period different sports it can't be all football guys it can't be all basketball guys it's got to be it's got to encompass, you know, as many sports as we can possibly do, because we've had some incredible athletes over the years come in. And so uh, the stories that uh, I continue to learn uh, has been extremely rewarding. Uh, you find out more and more about some of these people that uh, uh, the careers that they had here that kind of get lost over time. 
and and what they did afterwards and some of the things that they did when they left here uh you know it's pretty amazing and so uh it's been it's definitely been one of the highlights of my career has been working on the the hall of fame here um and getting those um you know getting the the people some some publicity for for some of the great things that they did on this campus and and uh We'll continue doing it. We've got a long, we got a long way. We're never going to run out of candidates. That's the great thing. We're never going to run out of candidates. And we're starting to get, you know, there's some really good, more recent candidates that uh, are eligible uh, that are going to start showing up in these classes as well. Cause we've got some national champions that are, that are, they're ready to jump in. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of really good names coming up here in the future. I'm just glad that you guys finally got that going off the ground. And just like some of the high schools around here, like, uh, Muhammad Seymour started theirs a few years ago in Centennial and just so happy that they're able to, to have that and, and, you know, like you say, preserve some of that history. Well, celebrating our success in, in history is, is one of the things that um, I think we got away from for many years. I don't think we did a great job over time often to, uh, of celebrating some of the great uh, athletes and coaches that we've had come through here. And, um, you know, we're in the 50th year of the uh, since the Title IX was uh, enacted. And so this last class, uh, the class of 22, is, is heavier on women. Now, that doesn't mean we, we ignored many. We've got some, uh, you know, the, the very best of the best have been inducted, but, you know, there are still some incredible stories that we have coming out. The class of 21 was a little different because it was, um, it was a year of COVID, and we took advantage to try to catch up on some of the uh, pre-1950 athletes who um, uh, who are no longer living, but we could, uh, you know, we could, they need, they deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame. And so I was able to catch up with a little bit bigger class of some of those folks from the early part of the early half of the, uh, of the 20th century to, to, uh, to catch up on some of those. And uh, we don't, we don't want to give up and say there's never going to be any more from that era, but we, we got a big chunk of them that uh, deserve to be included uh, in that group as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a fun process and um, I, I update my list every year and of, you know, try to narrow it. So when we go to our committee, we have at least a, a working group that we can start with. We know who we left off this last year and we can start there. And, and uh, I kind of closed, locked the door and, and say, okay, folks, we're here till we till we get our class in order and then so let's let's get to work and we roll up our sleeves and we get great we have a great group of people there's former athletes both men and women uh there's some media people there's uh a couple of fans who have been part of our program for many many years and and who has great uh knowledge of our history and we sit down and we just talk through all of them and and it's a it's a really fun process and one that uh, i look forward to every year before I let you go, Kent, one final question. I'm going to switch away from sports uh, as if you had uh, free time uh, on your hands. You somehow managed to become an ordained minister a while back. <laughs> well, what about that? Yeah, it was a funny story about that. My, uh, my stepson um, was getting married in um, St. Louis. And uh, we had just finished a, uh, my, my daughter had just gotten married uh, that summer and we were sitting around to talk about Corey's wedding which was going to be later in that summer and uh it was it was starting to be where we needed to get things kind of the ball rolling on some of these things and he uh, had yet to get a minister uh 
uh, lined up. They they found a venue to use, but they didn't have a minister, and so um, it didn't take me very long. I uh, I have a a, a brother-in-law who's a Baptist minister, and we're sitting in the room, and um, I went online, you know, and and the Universal Life Church, uh, you know, found out how to to become ordained. It's not very difficult, Fred. He basically got us fill out the form and send it in with your $30 and you're, you're an ordained minister, which allows you to, to, to do weddings and things. And so in about 15 minutes, I did it. I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm ordained minister. And my brother-in-law looked at me like, you're what? I said, no, it's over. I'm done. I, I, I can do your job now. So whatever. And so it's become kind of a family joke. But anyway, so I had to, I, I, uh, I uh, officiated my stepsons uh, and now uh daughter-in-law's uh wedding uh in st louis and and so um I, I keep that in my my bio so that we can and that's you know there's a lot of people who do this and but it's it's a it's a fun thing to talk about and it's a, it's a good story <laughs> well no doubt well kent i sure appreciate your time today anything else you'd like to add before i let you go well fred i tell you you know i always enjoy talking with you and and uh you know i know you don't like to pat yourself on the back, but the impact that you made on high school sports in our area is, is, will never be uh, repeated. And, and the coverage that you gave and uh, continue to give in different ways is uh, something that I think many of us miss uh, on a daily basis. And that's not to say that the folks who are doing it now, but the, the knowledge that you had gained over all those years of covering high school sports is something that I appreciated and I know that all the folks in, in the in the especially the out the, the the smaller towns in the area who don't get a lot of uh, attention and publicity when those teams are good, um, the attention that you would give them and and any attention that they get from our, our local media is always greatly appreciated. And so um, thank you for all those years that, that you that you did that. And we miss some of that coverage with that because uh, your knowledge was was very special. And so anybody who can remember the uh, Atwood Hammond Rajas in 1980 and 81 uh teams you know it was interesting uh dan roan uh who was at wgn for many many years right dan roan started at channel three mm -hmm. in champagne back in that that same era just retired and so i've gotten to know dan over the years when he's we'd come cover illini sports and and uh but i can still remember dan you know standing at the end uh in the end of the court kevin johnson as well it was on that same sports staff and he would, uh, they'd stand and, and tape highlights from our games. And then I, you know, you'd go home and watch them on the 10 o'clock news, the, the 20 seconds of highlights from Atwood Hammond or wherever it was, you know, or the, the conference tournament. And so um, I will say this, I'm going to give you one more, Fred. There's one more, uh, Kevin Johnson, who was on that. I don't know if you remember Kevin or not, but he was a member of the channel three sports staff in the early eighties. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. There are, um, there are six known members of a very rare and elite uh club called the bear paw club so the, these are the people who were in person to watch the final game coached by bear bryant when alabama played Al uh, illinois in the uh, 1982 liberty bowl and also saw the final game in person of joe paterno in state college when illinois played at state college in his last game before he had to step away because of all the the problems that that followed and kevin is one of those uh people he was covering the liberty bowl um 
uh, for Channel 3 back in 1982 and then went to the Penn State game as a fan. He lives in Connecticut now. Uh, the other members are uh, Ed, Ed Bond uh, from the Illini Radio uh, sure. Engineer fame. He is, he's one that did that. Mark Jones, who was a longtime photographer for <laughs> athletics, uh, was at the Liberty Bowl and also uh, traveled with us to uh, State College. Um, the Goldenberg uh, uh, couple from uh, from uh, St. Louis, uh, they the Goldenbergs were, are two more. They were at both games as fans, and then uh, I was at both both games. One as a fan, as a student in 1982, and then working as the SID at State College. And so even Lauren Taint can't can't call <laughs> that because he didn't travel to Penn State uh, for that game. Uh, for that football game and so there's only there's only it's it's a very limited group and if there's anybody else out there I'd love to hear from them because it's a very small group that saw those those two games 28 years apart in two different parts of the country uh, to do it so there's my Kevin there's my little uh, trivia note for the day all right well that is a great story I, I did not know that so I uh, I will definitely keep that in mind in, in the future <laughs> if anybody ever asked me so all right, we've been talking today with Kent Brown, an Atwood Hammond graduate who has been working at the University of Illinois, uh, well, I think all together about 33 years, right? And then- uh, Yeah, 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 uh, that's since right. 2000, so. <laughs> all right, well, Kent, thanks for I'm sure enjoyed catching up with you. Fred, anytime, love talking with you and uh, appreciate uh, you reaching out to do this. You bet, we'll be in touch.